If you would turn then in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew uh, chapter 6, and let's read from verse 5. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. And we know that God will always bless the reading of His Word. So, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at what is commonly designated as the Lord's Prayer. And in this prayer, the Lord is providing a pattern, a skeleton for His disciples that they may order and arrange their prayers in accordance with His will. It is a a teaching device for the disciples and for us. You remember in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 11, this prayer was given in response to the request of the disciples, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, uh, our Father, the opening line, who is in heaven, sets the tone uh, and the atmosphere for us as we approach God in prayer. When you pray, says Jesus, pause and remember the God it is to whom you pray. Uh, Remember, by grace, He has made you His child. He has adopted you into His family. And so, as your uh, Father, your heavenly Father, He's always open to the cries of His children. But remember that He is the God of heaven, so that you, yes, His Father He is, but He is the great God of heaven, and you must approach Him with reverence and with fear. And because He is the great God of heaven, and because He is your Father, that you have the ear of the Almighty, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine, as the authorized version renders it. You mustn't rush into His presence in a careless, thoughtless way. Your Father, He may be, but He still is the great God of heaven. The first petition we looked at last week, hallowed be your name. And we looked at the meaning of the petition, first of all, and that word hallowed is an old English word. They couldn't, the translators of the newer versions couldn't get, come up with a better word. It means uh, in its root form, it comes from the root holy, and we don't have no verb in the English language. We don't have a verb for uh, holy. You can't, we don't talk about holify, 
but uh, we use the word sanctify, and it means that God's name would be set apart in my heart, that He would be regarded as holy, so that when we come into His presence, the first thing that we do in prayer and the first words that spring from my lips ought to be words of adoration and praise, that I exalt and glorify the great name uh, of God. Before I ask for anything else, I, I pause in His presence, and I just worship Him. Hallowed be your name. The priority of the petition, we notice that comes before everything else, before everything else. The most important thing that we can do as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is to render praise unto God. And then we looked at the object of the petition, Father, Father. And I think that's just a corrective uh, and a priority that needs to be re-emphasized in today's evangelical church. Young people particularly have a habit of just addressing God as God. God, do this. God, do that. God, we thank you. Or uh, children have a habit of praying to Jesus. Jesus, do this. Jesus, do this. Well, this here's a God-given priority from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And He says, when you come, it is the Father uh, who is the object of your prayers. That's the priority, that you come to the Father through the Son in the energy of the Spirit. Now, this morning we come to the second petition, Your Kingdom Come. Now, out of all the petitions, this is probably the least understood, and yet in terms of priority, it comes second only to hallowing the name of God. And if we are to pray using this prayer as a pattern by which we have to order our prayers, it's essentially important that we understand what it means. Sure, anyone can parrot uh, these words, repeat them uh, in a mechanical way. But if we are to pray intelligibly and if we are to uh, pray effectively, we need to know exactly what we're uh, praying about. Now, we have three words in that phrase, your kingdom come. And if you think about those three words, that helps us understand what our Lord is teaching here. You're the ruler of the kingdom kingdom, the nature of the kingdom, and come, the coming of the kingdom. And that forms our outline this morning. So, first of all, then, the ruler of the kingdom. Every kingdom has a king and has subjects who obey that king and laws that are issued by that king. Now, the ruler of this kingdom is God. He is the great king because it is to him whom the prayer is addressed. Our Father in heaven your kingdom come. Whose kingdom? The Father's kingdom. And God in Scripture is often portrayed as the king. Psalm 47, verses 7 and 8, the psalm that Callum read to us, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. Psalm 95, verse 3, for the Lord is the great king, the great king above all gods. And as a king, he has all the trappings of royalty. He sits upon a throne. Psalm 47, in verse 8, God is seated on his holy throne. He has a crown. Revelation 19, verse 12, on his head are many crowns. He carries a scepter. Hebrews 1 and verse 8, righteousness will be the scepter of his kingdom. 
In fact, in the Bible, he is described as the king of kings. Now, the emphasis in the Old Testament particularly, that, uh, uh, but it's in the New as well, that God as king rules and is sovereign over his creation. If you think back to the Psalm 40, uh, that Callum read, Psalm 47, again, verse 2, How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King, over all the earth. Verses 7 and 8, For God is the King of all the earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on His holy throne. Verse 9, For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is the great King, and as the great King, He exercises His rule and is sovereign over all the earth. Then you might say, well, if He is the great King, and if He is sovereign over the earth, why pray your kingdom come? Well, you see, not everybody acknowledges His kingdom. Not everyone acknowledges that he is the great king over all the earth. He is king, but not everyone submits to his kingship. There is another kingdom. It's called the kingdom of darkness or the, the kingdom of Satan that is opposed to God and his glory and his honor. As the first petition says, hallowed be your name. But God's name is not hallowed, regarded as sacred, worshipped uh, uh, by all men. Some people curse it. Some people revile it. Some people hate it because there is this other kingdom. Do you remember in the temptations of Jesus, the last temptation as mentioned by <coughs> Matthew, um, Satan takes Jesus up to a high mountain and offers him the kingdoms of the world. Now, they weren't his to offer, because you remember in Psalm 2, the father says to the son, ask of me, ask of me, and I will give you the, the kingdoms uh, of, the, of this world. But Satan comes and uh, offers them to, to Jesus. And Billy Bray, you'll forgive the language, but Billy Bray says the Cornish uh, uh, evangelist. He says, oh, you skitter, he says. You have, you offer the kingdoms of the world, and you haven't a tatty skin to give away. Because the kingdoms, we read that in Psalm 47, the kingdoms belong to him. But, but not everybody acknowledges that, and Satan does exercise authority over uh, kingdoms. And so, when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying that the kingdom of Satan would be diminished, diminished, that his rule would be undermined, and that the kingdom of God would be established more fully. Let me illustrate it in this way. So we live in the United Kingdom, and King Charles reigns over us. He is our sovereign. Now, the only difficulty with that is 50% of the population here in the province do not acknowledge his authority to rule. He's not their king, but he is king by the constitution until there's a change in the constitution. Now, God is king over all the world, but not everyone acknowledges his authority. But he's still king. 
and He still issues His decrees and orders obedience and gives His law. He still is sovereign and rules over all. What we're praying for in this petition, your kingdom come, is that people will bow to His kingship, submit to His kingship, acknowledge His kingship, and that they might be willing subjects of the great King, the ruler of the kingdom. The second thing I want you to notice is the nature of the kingdom. Well, you may ask, what exactly is this kingdom that we pray for? Well, kingdom is defined by the dictionary as a territory, state, people, or community ruled or reigned over by a king. Now, that should be fairly obvious. A kingdom is a place or a people where the king reigns. And in the Old Testament, the kingdom of God was actually the kingdom of Israel or the kingdom of Judah. That was the the, the people over which God reigned. Uh, Now, when we come to the New Testament, we find the kingdom of God is unlike the kingdom of Israel. It's different than the kingdom of Israel. It's different, in fact, to any other kingdom. First of all, it's spiritual and not political. A kingdom usually has a political identity. It can be defined in terms of a political philosophy, and that's exactly uh, the expectation that was current among the Jews when Jesus uh, came into the world. They were expecting a great political king or Messiah who would militarily throw off the yoke of Roman bondage and oppression and establish Israel or restore Israel to a great kingdom again. And even the disciples themselves, after being exposed to three years of the teaching of Jesus on this particular subject, even after the resurrection, they were still thinking in those political terms. Remember in Acts 1 and verse 6, they, they say to Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? To Israel. Calvin says there are as many errors in that question as words. The verb, restore, they were expecting a revived political kingdom. Israel, they were expecting a national kingdom where Israel would would once more uh, be uh, manifested in all her power. And at this time, the adverb, they were expecting the immediate establishment of that kingdom. They were looking still for a political kingdom. But how did Jesus respond to that question? He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That No, it's not Israel anymore. It's the ends of the earth. It embraces all nations, and it's a spiritual kingdom, and it's advanced in a spiritual way that they receive power when the Spirit comes upon them. That the kingdom expected is not political, but spiritual. Do you remember Jesus when He was questioned by Pilate in John 18, and Pilate asked Him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest uh, by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You see, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. And because it is a spiritual kingdom, it's advanced in a spiritual way. 
So it's established by witnesses, not soldiers. <coughs> by the gospel of peace, not a declaration of war. By the work of the Spirit, not by military might. Uh, at the point of saving faith, not at the point of a threatening sword. And that might seem quite obvious to us today, but it hasn't always been the case. In the history of the church, many have confused the kingdom of God with a political kingdom. It began with Constantine in the fourth century, who as, as emperor of Rome uh, declared himself to be a Christian and the, Holy, uh, the Roman Empire became the Holy Roman Empire. And the church became a political force with popes leading priests in the battle. And the Crusades was a whole movement to Christianize nations by force to establish the kingdom uh, of God by military might. When the uh, Puritans went to America, their, their, their goal, even though they were fleeing persecution from Anglicanism, they went to America to establish them, uh, themselves as a, a free society. But then they began to persecute anybody who didn't conform to their view of what religion should be. And so, Roger Williams was a, a Baptist, and he was persecuted, and he had to flee uh, outside. It was put out of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and he only survived by the support of the Indians. And um, he then went back to the king, back to England, back to the king, and petitioned for uh, his own colony. And he was given Rhode Island. And uh, he went back, and that was the first uh, colony, the first state, if you like, in, in the states that practiced freedom of religion and uh, individual liberty of conscience, that he understood that you don't make disciples by coercion or force, but by the spiritual work of the Spirit of God in the heart of man. And yet, even today, within evangelicalism, you have people who will politicize the gospel and try to make Christian countries. There's no such thing as a Christian country. It's Christian people who are born of the Spirit of God and ha, ha, are themselves little outposts of the kingdom. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're not praying for a political Christian regime to be set up in the world because the kingdom of God is spiritual, not political. Secondly, the kingdom of God is internal and not territorially, uh, territorial. You see, a kingdom can usually be located on a map. It's a territory. It's a place. The kingdom of Jordan, the kingdom of Nepal, the kingdom of Thailand, the kingdom of Spain, the United Kingdom. But God's kingdom has nothing to do with geography. It concerns men's hearts. Turn just over with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. Luke 17 and verse 20. Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. 
or as the NIV says, uh, within you. Jesus came to bring this spiritual kingdom. So, in the Old Testament, it was the kingdom of Israel. It could be defined in terms of borders, but not in the New Testament. And so, John the Baptist, uh, his great message was, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And when the Lord Jesus came, his message from the outset of his ministry was, uh, uh, well, Matthew 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And remember in Luke 4, he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other places because this is why uh, we were sent. So, if you're a Christian this morning, your heart is a, a little outpost of the kingdom. Your heart is in the kingdom. Remember Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, and he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So, how, how do you enter the kingdom? Uh, you enter the kingdom by this infusion of spiritual life when God wakes you from uh, your spiritual deadness so that you're able to see uh, things that you could never see before, so you could uh, <coughs> you begin to see His holiness and His greatness and His majesty. You begin to see your, your own sinfulness and your own worthiness. You begin to see the, the beauty and the attractiveness of the Lord Jesus, and you begin to see that He is the only answer and the only remedy to, to your sin. And so, as Jesus says, you repent and you believe. You repent from your sin. You acknowledge what the Bible says about you is actually true, that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and you believe that Christ came in this great rescue mission to snatch you from the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, to bring you into the kingdom of light and into the kingdom of His dear Son. So, I want to ask you this morning then, are you a spiritual Republican? Are you? That you refuse to submit to His kingship and to His authority and surrender yourself to His love, to His kindness, and to His grace. Because that's how we become members of the kingdom. That's the nature of the kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not political, it's internal, and it's not territorial. Are you a citizen of the kingdom? Have you, by grace, come to trust in Christ as the grounds of your acceptance before God? So, if you looked at the ruler of the kingdom, you're the kingdom, the nature of the kingdom. It's spiritual, not political. It's internal, not territorial. And then, come the coming of the kingdom. Now, I hope these petitions, or this petition is beginning to make sense, your kingdom come. What are we actually praying for when we pray your kingdom come? We're praying that God's kingdom would be established in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls, that people will be saved and brought into the kingdom. I hope that's clear. In the Old Testament, the kingdom of God was, uh, was 
defined by geographical borders, but in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is defined by those who have come to trust in Christ. This second petition is an evangelistic petition. It is praying to God for the conversion of other people that God's kingdom will be established in the heart. In hearts. Now, in one sense, the kingdom has come uh, because Jesus uh, said uh, the kingdom of, of, of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, so it came with the coming of Jesus. Uh, in one sense, it will come when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of God and of Christ, his Lord Christ, as Revelation uh, 11.15 tells us. But when we use this petition, we're praying that the kingdom would come. It has come, it will come, but it's coming as people believe the gospel. The kingdom is here, and it's being set up in men's hearts as they obey the gospel call. Those verses in Acts 1.68 are, are truly uh, remarkable. Jesus' whole point is that the disciples were looking for a geographical political kingdom to restore the kingdom to Israel. But Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will receive power. Power to do what? to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. The kingdom is established by the preaching of the gospel as men and women repent and believe the message. So, to pray your kingdom come, you are engaging in what the Puritans called evangelistic praying. Now, remember what our Lord is doing here. He is giving us a pattern by which we may order our prayers. And the first thing he says you must do is you must pray and remember the God to whom it is you come, uh, to whom you come, our Father in heaven. The second thing you must do, and the first words from your lips when you pray must be words of adoration and praise. Um, Hallowed be your name. His glory, his praise, his worship comes before everything else. But after worshiping him, pausing in his presence, and praising, worshiping, adoring him, the next thing, the next priority you should have is evangelism, that God's kingdom would be set up in hearts, that you plead with God that in his wrath he would remember mercy, that in his grace he would reveal himself to men and women, young people and boys and girls, that he would breathe spiritual life into them and bring them to faith in Jesus. This is a missionary prayer, an evangelistic prayer, a prayer for the conversion of sinners. And <clears throat> notice its priority. This petition comes second only to the worship of God. It comes before our temporal needs. Give us this day our daily bread. It comes even before our spiritual needs. Lead us not into temptation. Right, let me ask you then, does your, your praying reflect that? Does your uh, praying reflect that command of the Lord Jesus to seek first His kingdom 
and His righteousness. Do you have that kind of emphasis? Is the the, the order of the Lord's Prayer ref, uh, reveals to us the concerns of the Lord for, for His glory, that His name would be hallowed, but secondly, that His kingdom would come, that His great concern is the conversion of men and women, and boys and girls. Oh my God, if I have to give up every temporal blessing that I've enjoyed and resign myself to living a life of abject poverty in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, that your name might be preached and people might be reached so that the kingdom is established, let it be. And if I have to be placed in the place of temptation and great trial, remember temptation and trial are the same word in Greek, if I have to be placed into the crucible of trial and suffer greatly that your name might go forward and your name might be proclaimed, uh, let it be. If I have to go through hardship and bitterness that people can look at my life and see you sustaining me and be attracted to the cross of Christ, let it be so that they look at me and say, afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. If they see those graces in me, let it be, and ultimately are attracted to the gospel, let it be. This petition comes second only to the praise and glory of God's name, and it shows us the high priority that God Himself places upon outreach and witness. So that we say with Charles Wesley, tis only, only, His only righteousness I show, His saving truth proclaim, tis all my business here below to cry, behold, behold the Lamb. All my business. So what is our Lord teaching us here? He's teaching us that, uh, that when we come in prayer, we, we begin by worshiping Him, but secondly, we begin by praying for the conversion of others. So that we come and we think of our personal evangelism and we, we think of the people that we work with and we say, Lord, Lord, lead me to somebody that's open to respond to you today. Lead me to someone who will ask me questions about my faith. Give me the courage that I might initiate the conversation and speak of you. Let me speak of our, to him about our families, that our, our children, our unconverted um, parents, that they will be brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you really believe, do you really believe that your children are going to hell unless reached by the gospel. Do you believe that? I think if you really believe that, praying for their conversion would have a higher priority than perhaps it actually does. We pray for our church. We think of all the young people and the children that come in under our influence and the BB and the GB and the with kids and all the different clubs that we have in the church, and we realize that those children are, are lost. They're lost. 
without hope and without God in this world. And so we'll, we'll hammer and bang at the gates of heaven and the doors of heaven that God will hear, will hear and answer prayer. We'll pray for missionaries. We'll, we, we realize that there are representatives at the forefront of the, the battle that they're taking to the, the gospel to regions beyond, and that some in very difficult situations, and that they need the help of God. We'll just not tap them on the shoulder as they leave from giving their deputation report and say, I'll be praying for you. We, we write to them. We get news about them. We keep a little prayer diary about them, and we, we, we put their prayer requests in that diary. And so when we come to pray, we actually do pray for them. We ask God to, to help them, to undertake for them, and that there might be signs following the preaching of His Word. That's, that's what we pray in this petition. I would encourage you to keep a little prayer diary and, and, and to put request to uh, name the people that you're cons most concerned about, your family members, to, to uh, uh, your, your children, your grandchildren, to keep uh, uh, a note of the people that you work with, of missionaries. And, you know, people talk about, oh, I don't know what to pray for. Well, if you were, if you were doing this properly and if you were doing this effectively, you would never be short, never short of things to pray for. The ruler of the kingdom the nature of the kingdom and the coming of the kingdom. And I, I just think the fact that this petition comes second, second only to hallowing the name of God shows us the priority that Jesus himself placed upon the advancement of the kingdom and evangelism. And I, I wonder sometimes, if, have we lost that? We lost that. Have we lost the world vision? Are we failing to lift our eyes up and look at the harvest ripe and ready to harvest? Have we lost that? You know, uh, Eric Liddell was uh, uh, an athlete. He played rugby for Scotland and the Five Nations. He, do you remember he refused to run in the uh, 100 meters because it was held on the Lord's Day in the 1924 Olympic Games? And when asked about it, he said, since I was young, I set my heart on a different prize. Since I was young, I set my heart on a, a different prize. And uh, when he ran then on, in the 400 meters and won gold, he became a sort of national uh, a celebrity, and uh, uh, everybody was interested in him, and he gave it all up then to be a missionary in China. And when he was leaving, he was down at the uh, Waveney Station there in Edinburgh, and this huge crowd of people had gathered around him to uh, say goodbye, wondering what on earth would take this man to China. And uh, as he boarded the train, you remember the old windows in the train that you pulled down in the doors? He pulled it down. And he leaned out. And he shouted at the top of his voice, Christ for the nations! And then began to sing, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom shall stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. That's the priority. 
that we ought to have in this petition. His kingdom shall stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Amen.